You're listening to True Heart. Amy and Scott Mallon dive deep with celebrities, mavericks, visionaries, and real-life heroes to find out what sets their souls on fire. Here's Amy and Scott. Hey guys, welcome back to another life-altering episode of True Heart. That's right. This episode is going to change your life. Season two, episode two. It's a good one. Two and two. Two and two. See what we did there? 2022. Um, Happy New Year again. I'm still getting it in there. Some might say it's too late, but you know what? It's not creepy yet. I'm, I'm still I'm still rocking my Happy New Year greeting to, to one and all. So um, hopefully you're digging the podcast. If you do, please um, give us a five-star rating and a great review. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube for the full experience or wherever podcasts are found. We're so excited to welcome our good friend, Ryan Devlin, to the show. Ryan has starred on the hit television shows, Veronica Mars, Brothers and Sisters, Jane the Virgin, and Cougar Town. He served as the host of E.T. on MTV, Rock the Cradle, and Are You the One? Ryan, along with fellow actors Kristen Bell, Todd Grinnell, and Ravi Patel, is the co-founder of the food company, This Saves Lives, which is on a mission to end severe acute malnutrition. For every one of their delicious bars or breakfast products you buy, This Saves Lives donates a packet of life-saving food aid to a child in need. With over 30 million packets of food aid donated to date, This Saves Lives is just getting started. Let's get into it with Ryan. Happy New Year, Ryan Devlin. It's 2022. We're going to make it an awesome year, and we're so excited to have you on the True Heart Podcast and to be reunited with an OG friend. I'm so excited to be here. I love you guys so much as humans and as podcasters, longtime oh, listener, first-time guest. Uh, <laughs> and thanks for having me. I'm I'm psyched. It's, it's a new year. I feel really good about it. Um, or, you know, maybe I'm just saying that like I have the last two years just because you got to put that positivity into the world and hope that it comes back at you. Well, it can't be any shittier than last year. <laughs> so right. let's feel good about it. Just even like the bar so low now that if it's just even a little better, be like, wow, 2022 crushed it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't test the universe, Scott. The universe might be like, oh, yeah, motherfucker. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, you got Omicron got... 2.0. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just like was reading on the news that like there was this town in Texas where it was raining fish the other day. It's like this phenomenon called animal rain, uh, like where like water spouts pull up, you know, frogs or fish from like lakes and then and then it like rains them down. And I was like, well, so that's how 2021 closed out. Like, I, I, I do think that we have a good shot at 2022 being a slightly better year as long as it doesn't rain fish anymore on top of everything else. I'm I mean, that. We, we could always, you know, handle some plagues in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have one right now. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's bananas. Well, it can only get better. Just look at it that way. Hopefully 2021 was rock bottom. We're going to climb, claw our way out of it. Cheers yes. to that. And I had a great year, just personally speaking, which I'm sure like, you know, upsets all the people out there who like had really tough years. So no, um, you know, I'm not, not, I don't mean to, to devalue the struggle that we've all gone through. Um, but just, you know, personally, um, you know, with the kids and spending a lot of time in nature and um, some big accomplishments at This Saves Lives, 
um, which you know were were hard won accomplishments because we're running a business in a pandemic year. But um, all in all, I have to say that um, I'm not hating on 2021, but I am looking forward to 2022. Good. We're glad it was a good year for you personally and professionally, and we know. 2022 is going to hopefully rain down blessings on the world because we all we all deserve it. So before we chat about all the amazing work that you're doing, Ryan, as a social entrepreneur, we have to talk about your career because you've been a part of so many cool projects in Hollywood. So of all of your TV roles on Veronica Mars and Brothers and Sisters and Cougar Town and Jane the Virgin and Grey's Anatomy, what was your favorite role to play and why? Um, love that question. So I've mostly played bad guys on TV, um, which, you know, um, never ceases, uh, ceased to kind of annoy my mom when she would go to book club and, and her friends at book club would be like, was your son the murderer rapist on law and order SVU? And she's like, yeah. And you know, 20 other shows. Um, so for whatever reason I played the bad guys, but the bad guys are fun to play. So, you know, is I it possible, look- is it possible that it's because you have this like, look that's like total like boy next door like just like all american it could never be that guy so it was like they were using you as like that he's gonna be the big surprise because no one would ever guess it could be him i i would i hope so i hope it's that and not like i walked into the casting office and they were like oh that's a rapist oh you know? look at this creepy fucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yes i hope it's the former and not the latter um but the you know the the benefit of of that is um, it's really fun to play those roles because uh, you know obviously you you don't do that in real life uh, and so to play the bad guy to be the creep um, is really fun. I have played some nice guys. So you mentioned uh, brothers and sisters and Cougar Town. I was like just like a real good guy in those shows, and I loved both of those shows in the casts of both of those shows. Um, but your question was, what was my favorite? And I think Veronica Mars, um, you know, it's an oldie but a goodie, but it was my first real acting role. I had been hosting a show called E.T. on MTV for for quite some time, like Entertainment Tonight, but on MTV. Um, and I'd done some like smaller guest spots, you know, some murderers of the week on like CSI Miami and that kind of thing. Some murderers um, of the week. Yeah, the murderer of the week. But then I got cast on Veronica Mars and they didn't tell me like what role it was. I didn't read for that role. It was kind of this top secret role and shoots down in San Diego. And it was like summer camp. You know, we were all like in our early mid twenties and it it shot on location for all of us that were living in LA. And so we all stayed in a hotel down there. Um, And so you hang out like at the hotel bar at night and you shoot together. And like, it was just like a real fun experience just as as an actor. Um, And then getting to play the role that I played, which was like, a over the course of a season, he was this serial rapist and like would like date rape these women at college and like shave their heads and keep a box of their hair in his closet. And like, hopefully nobody takes that clip out of context and like uses it against me. It was a character. Um, And, you know, so it was like a really like intensely dark role and Kristen Bell's character, Veronica and, and myself, like we were like these, you know, these, these enemies over the course of the season. And then Kristen and I became really good friends in that process. We're both from Michigan and we just like, you know, we kind of hit it off and, and just became buddies as I did with like the entirety of the cast. And we're still really close. So a a lot of us um, are, are incredibly close still. So yeah, I would say like, that's probably my, my favorite 
acting role looking back. Um, but there's been many others that I've, I've really loved as well. Well, um, with brothers and sisters, I have to ask because, you know, you did such a great job on that show and playing Callista Flockhart's love interest. Were you ever worried that like Han Solo was going <laughs> to kick your ass? Because that for me, like as an 80s baby, like Han Solo was the shit. Him and like Lando were my top two Star Wars characters. <laughs> and was there ever any like tense moments on set with him, like watching those scenes where you were like, holy shit, this is the day that Harrison Ford like destroys me? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I think, look, this was a, that was a huge role for me to get because it was like a season long arc. It was to play Kitty's love interest on the show, Calista Flockhart, who's incredible. I mean, I grew up watching Ally McBeal and she's like such a talented actor. Um, so it was such a dream job. But I think more excited than me um, getting that role was Kara because Kara, my wife, um, whom you guys know, of course, um, she loves Harrison Ford. So I'd come back from a day of like these love scenes with with Callista and Kara would kiss me and be like, I'm one degree from kissing Harrison Ford. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but so was I. So you know, we we both won uh, that. And um, fortunately, um, fortunately, Callista was was um, incredibly kind and gracious. And my first scene literally hadn't said probably five words to Callista. I show up on set, go through hair and makeup, wardrobe, all that stuff, show up at this um, coffee shop scene and, you know, like ready to roll cameras. And it's a scene where she, um, I'm a barista at this coffee shop and like she sneaks into the back room and she grabs me and we just like have this rock and make out session where we're like slamming against like the shelves of coffee and cups and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I hadn't known her for five minutes and like we're immediately having to like make out like furiously, um, which is super intimidating for like a young actor to show up on set and she's the star of the show and all that. Um, but she was so great and like just made it like fun and playful. And then, um, you know, we really hit it off that that show and working with Sally Field as well. I had some really um, great, great scenes with her. Um that that show it's a really close second to to veronica mars like it's a that's a coin toss because that was just such like a every day i showed up on set i was just like god i cannot believe i get to do this that's crazy and you know what you're saying about like making out with someone on screen you know it's a job you know it's not like you are doing anything you're not supposed to do but at the same time like it's got to be a little bit like weird you're, you're a professional and you're doing it for a job um, but I, I remember hearing this story that Nick Cage uh, used to, when he had to do a makeout session, he would eat uh, chopped onions, like raw onions, Ugh. and make out. And the idea was that the other person, like, there's no way she could ever be attracted to him because his breath was so bad. But then I was like, that's really unfair to the actress because now you're making it even harder. She's yeah, got to look like she's into you. And like smell that disgusting breath. That's hardcore. But like, isn't it, was it like you just sort of like compartmentalize it and it's like, it's a job and whatever. That just seems like a crazy thing to have to go through. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. It is a crazy thing to have to go through. And fortunately now from my understanding, um, I don't have a lot of experience in, in this recently, but now I think the industry's gotten a lot better by having like intimacy 
uh, coaches and experts on set because, you know, every love scene I've done has just been me and my scene partner kind of figuring it out with a little bit of input from the director. And that can get awkward um, when you don't feel comfortable showing what you're showing or rolling or moving or whatever you need to do. Um, and so I, I actually think that the the industry largely um, uh, spurred on by the Me Too movement has gotten a lot more professional with that regard. Um, but, you know, for, for my experiences, fortunately, none of my scene partners um, uh, munched on onions, but there is that um, there's a nervous energy and an awkwardness and the body doesn't always listen to the mind. I remember this great quote from Denzel Washington that he has about um, having love scenes. I forgot who um, he was, who, who is, um, it's this actress who was recounting it. Um, and I forgot who, who he was talking to, but we can look it up and put it in the show notes, but it's a great, you know, it's a kind of a, uh, it was a famous movie that he had done. And he told her as she's recounting it, she said, Denzel came up to me before our love scene. It was like a full nude love scene. And he said, I'm sorry if I get excited and I'm sorry if I don't get excited, you know? And it's like, like that's kind of the way it goes. Like sometimes the body doesn't listen to the mind and you forget that there's a bunch of people around cause you're an actor and you're trying, you're supposed to get into it. And so then it starts to blur the line, not in any sort of like relationship way. If you're, you know, I was married when I was doing brothers and sisters, I never thought about like running off with Calista Flockhart. Um, you know, Harrison Ford, Ford um, notwithstanding. But, you know, I think you do have these opportunities to try to forget the cameras, try to forget the boom mics and really get into a scene. And you just try to stay in character. But, um, you know, it, it can be it can be real awkward. I mean, I remember some scenes with Callista where like we were wearing the little nude colored, you know, briefs because they wanted to show as much skin as ABC would allow and all that. And like you're sitting there and there's 25 other people in the room and like a bunch of big hairy guys wearing jean shorts, holding boom mics and that kind of thing. And so, you know, sexy. yeah, exactly. Like if you ever want to kill the mood, like all you have to do really <laughs> is look around and you're like, oh, OK, yeah, I'm not in a real bedroom. <laughs> right. But the create, you know, you think about it and it's like you're as an actor, you're supposed to be in the moment and, you know, emoting this like love or you know the the whatever is supposed to be happening but at Passion. the same time you're like wait but i'm also like in the back of my mind i'm married and i'm not really into callisto but i i have to do this it's just such a crazy thing to have to go through as a human you know acting aside like that's a that's a tough thing to do so it's like i mean Great job. I mean, you, you did you. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it is. And it does blur the lines. I mean, uh, you know, there's, um, it, it's not uncommon for co-stars on projects to actually start up real relationships. You know, maybe, it, you know, one would hope that it's two single actors who are, you know, who are coming together on, on a show, but like faked chemistry can lead to real chemistry. It's like, psychologists will say if you're feeling sick to your stomach or you're or you're feeling you know particularly down force the muscles in your mouth to smile and just in doing that i mean even if i'm not feeling like i want to smile just in doing that it actually releases a little bit of dopamine um and so the kind of fake it until you make it and so if two actors are coming together and they're faking a, an intensely close relationship 
that actually can lead, of course, as we've seen, you know, famously millions of times, um, it can lead to a real relationship. Sometimes they last, sometimes they don't, but that's life as well. Um, when you're married, you know, it's a little bit easier when you're, you know, I was married in doing Brothers and Sisters and Callista was married, just like on Cougar Town, you know, I was married and Busy Phillips was married. And so, you know, you go into these scenes and like you talk about what you want to do. And I always made a point to talk a lot about Kara, you know, with with my co-stars and they would share a lot about their spouse. And that kind of helps to diffuse any potential like weirdness or or, you know, like you know, uncomfortable or misplaced attraction that might leak into um, a love scene. And, you know, I didn't do a whole lot of love scenes anyway um, in in my career uh, or haven't, you know, up to this point. So, you know, usually you just have a lot of fun with them. And then, uh, you know, you, you head over to the craft services table and, and crush some donuts and then, you know, get shooting a different scene. And so, you know, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting job. I, I really love being an actor. Uh, I host as well. And like hosting is different than, you know, acting, because in acting, you're trying to forget the cameras and in hosting, you're addressing the cameras. And so it's two kind of very different muscles that you're exercising. And and acting, I think, is really fun to try and forget about who you are for a minute and just um, throw yourself into a different character. It's it's a really cool escape. You mentioned craft services. Now I can't get that out of my head. The idea of having a table with unlimited snacks and food that you can just nosh on all day long. I'd be 600 pounds, I think, if I was an actor. That, that would legit be your nemesis. Scott has no I have no control. When I go to no. a party, it's like Monopoly money with the food and the calories. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. really exist. So I will, I have no, I'm great when I'm home and on like whatever. But when I go somewhere and it's like a party or like been on set in some places, uh, it, it's it's on. What do you go to? Is it the dessert table? Is it the Is it the cheeses? Is it... It's, oh, it's clearly, goes. it's clearly you, you hit the salty, then you hit the sweet, then you hit the salty. I mean, then you're you a professional. You know what you're doing. Yeah. My favorite. You're, you're not an amateur. No, no, no. I know what I'm doing. I go straight yeah. in. I go for the good quality stuff. I'm not messing around with the junk. I'm not trying to get Doritos. Come on. Right. I go right. in for the nice stuff. You know, something got sliced cheeses, but you know, what you guys are saying is way more important. I just had to throw out there. That's really <laughs> where I'm, my head is. No, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Like, I've, you know, again, as somebody who, at least, you know, in, in my career to this point, I haven't really had to watch my figure that much. Um, well, but you're skinny. You're skinny. Yeah, I'm just kind of like good. naturally skinny, but I don't have to play like, like the hunk, right? You know, Justin Baldoni is a friend of mine and, and we were on um, Jane the Virgin together and he's, he's written um, and, and talked extensively about like the the body image pressures that were put on him as always having to kind of have like the shirtless scene. And of course women get this, you know, times 10. Um, and, and very much like talked about, like, I know you're, we're making a joke about the, the, the craft table, but there's actually like a real side to that, which is like, after every scene, I would hit the craft table. Cause I'm like, look, I'm poor. And uh, you know, like, and, these snacks are and there's free. like free donuts, the shit's free. And like, not only am I going to eat all the calories I can, like I'm stuffing stuff in my bag and I'm like, I'm going, I'm going shopping here. But then there's these other actors and actresses who, you know, they know they've got a shirtless scene coming up and like, they would be not drinking water because they didn't want to take on water weight because they wanted to look shredded or, or look great in a bikini and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, there's the, um, you have to have incredible you know, self-control to be a certain type of actor or, or, you know, um, actress or celebrity in, in our, 
um, business. Fortunately, I haven't had to contend with that. I could always hit the craft table and not worry about it. And well, this saves lives is on the a lot of the craft table. So like, oh, whenever, nice like whenever we did a job segues, uh, you know, I have you, I have he's a pro. once or twice. He's he a pro. He's I a was pro. literally just going to say the best segue of all time from the craft oh, table to the snack food company. <laughs> Great minds think alike. All right. Knocking so, it out of the park. No, but this is in all seriousness, like what you transitioned into. And I know you still, you know, act and you're still doing that stuff. But what you created with This Saves Lives um, and people who've watched our show know that, you know, we we love fans, you. We talked about you guys. Um, it's really extraordinary what you created. So just give us a little background on, you know, how that got started. Cause here you are, you know, you're acting, you have a really good career with acting and hosting and, and then you started this company. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was such a, like looking back at it now, cause we've, we've been a, uh, operating as a company for eight years now. And so it's, it's just wild how, how the brand has grown. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with this saves lives, we're uh, a give back food company. And so for every product sold, we donate life-saving nutrition to children in need around the world. And we work in tons of countries with incredible uh, NGOs as our partners on the ground. And um, primarily we, we um, are helping to save lives of children who are suffering from severe acute malnutrition. So that's the gist of the company, but it didn't start that way, of course. So it started, um, as as many ideas do, like just as a totally different thing. Um, and that was a trip that Todd Grinnell and I, one of the co-founders of This Saves Lives, um, took to Liberia. And so Todd and I had been friends for, for some time through some acting classes and that kind of thing. And um, we both just had a heart for service, you know, um, probably not a huge shocker for listeners to learn that um, Hollywood, by and large, isn't um, entirely um, rewarding and fulfilling, like on a deep purpose driven level um, <laughs> for most people. For some people, it is because they're just born to create, to 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 be an actor, to uh, they have that artist in them. And and I think there is deep fulfillment that can come from that. But, you know, playing the murderer of the week um, for me was fun, um, really exciting, met amazing people. But it didn't fill my heart up. And so um, Todd and I were approached by a mutual friend of ours um, who was working on a, a charity project in Liberia. And there was this village whose bridge had been destroyed um, through this flood. And it really kind of cut them off from being able to get kids to school and get to, to market, to have their businesses prosper and that kind of thing. And so we teamed up to raise some funds for that. It was $30,000, which is a ton of money. Um, and but we we did Todd and I made a bunch of like silly videos and hit up all of our friends and um, you know this was before like the convenience of a lot of online fundraisers and platforms like Omaze and that kind of thing and so um, we cobbled it together and we took this trip to Liberia to meet the village and kind of help oversee the completion of the construction of the bridge and while we were there one of the stops that we took kind of as one of these locals was um, showing us around our guide there he took us to this clinic, uh, a refugee clinic that was treating children who were suffering from severe acute malnutrition. And so that's where kind of like, you know, for the first time, that's where we came face to face with 
just the tragedy of severe acute malnutrition, which is 100% preventable. It just means kids don't have the nutrition that they need and that they deserve. And so in talking to these moms and these dads and these caregivers, the nurses, the doctors, we were like, look, how, how can we help? Like, what do we, what do you need? And that's when they walked us over and they showed us what's called plumpy nut, which is like this peanut butter paste. Um, it's like a little sachet, a little packet of peanut butter paste that's fortified with micronutrients and vitamins and minerals. It's super high calorie, doesn't need to be refrigerated, doesn't need to be mixed with water. A child's dying. You tear this packet open, you give them maybe two or three a day for anywhere between two weeks and 30 days, and they're healthy and happy and able to just go back and be a kid and eat regular food and go to school. Um, super simple. And we're like, wow, okay, well, these must be incredibly expensive. And they're like, no, they're, you know, about 20 or 30 cents a piece. Um, but we can't get enough of them. Uh, and so Todd and I were just like, our minds were blown. And Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes had, had profiled Plumpy Nut. It's like been hailed as a miracle treatment. And so like we just returned after being out there to help a village build a bridge, but we returned to the States and we were like plumpy nut, like this is the answer. We have to do what we can here. And so that was the original motivation. That was the why, right. Um, of, of what this saves lives ultimately became, of course, you know, fast forward many years of like making granola bars in our kitchens and, and working with, nutritionists and food scientists and um, bringing on, you know, of course, our, our founding team is is myself, Ravi Patel, Todd Grinnell, and, and Kristen Bell, Kristen, whom I'd been friends with since Veronica Mars, and then bringing on more people and asking favors and learning what it even meant, like Googling, because this was before TrueHeart. I couldn't TrueHeart it. I could Google it, you know, Googling you know, how do you sell granola bars? I mean, it was like literally that kind of rudimentary. Um, but we just knew, like, we knew that there was a huge purpose. There was, there were these kids who needed food aid and we were going to do everything we friggin' could to get it to them. And so that's what got us started. And, and fortunately now we have much smarter people working on the brand than, than me. It's been absolutely amazing what you've accomplished in these eight years with over 30 million packets of food aid donated and hundreds of thousands of kids lives saved and you're, you're only getting started. So, you know, now that you've been a social entrepreneur for almost a decade, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned on your, on your journey? Awesome question. You know, I, I think everyone's journey, it's like, it's very individual, right? You're, you're what you're going to do, what your business is going to do. But if you're interested in social entrepreneurship, the why really matters. Um, that is the fire that will keep you going. That is the wind in your sails that will propel you forward when you don't know why the heck you were crazy enough to start this this business, or when your eyes are bleeding because you've been looking at spreadsheets for the past five hours in a row, and and you know, looking at how much cash, or in in our case, most of the time, how little cash we actually had to keep the operation going. But you could always, in our case, always look back at these faces of these kids that we were serving and that we were wanting to serve, and that's what kept us propelled. Um, that's what continues to fuel us, by the way, as a company that's now, um, as you said, and, you know, donated 30 million packets of food aid enough to save over 200,000 lives. We still look at individual faces of kids in areas that we're serving 
and kids that still need help. And that's really what's driving us forward. Um, you know, beyond that, like in terms of like practical knowledge, um, I think it's really important. It was really important in my case to be involved in every aspect of the business early on so that I had a foundational knowledge of everything. Production, like we made the first bars in our kitchens. And when we brought on our manufacturing partner, we were there for our initial runs to see how everything worked, to ask questions, to learn, to form relationships, um, website design, packaging design, um, sales, all of this, you know, sampling. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in the early days it was like me standing in, you know, a little grocery store like Erewhon Foods in, in you know, West Hollywood or, or Whole Foods when we first brought on our first Whole Foods. And like just standing behind a table and asking people to try our bars and asking for their feedback and telling them our story and learning, you know, did you like it? Did you hate it? What could we change in our next round? That kind of thing. So, you know, being heavily involved early on is usually a necessity for an entrepreneur because you can't afford to just like hire everything out. But it's also an incredible benefit so that when you can bring on a team, which I've been um, fortunate enough to be able to do at, at This Saves Lives over the years, um, you still have that foundational knowledge. And I think that's that's incredibly important. Lastly, I'll, I'll, I'll say this in terms of social entrepreneurship specifically, and then I'm happy to dive into any details that you want on, on this or beyond. But um, I think transparency and um, accountability are incredibly important when you're talking about a social impact business. So um, that would specifically be like in our case, regularly reporting and, and telling our consumers uh, where the food aid was going, how much we were sending, who it was serving. Um, you know, there's, there's some brands create a project or product or a service and then try to slap some sort of, you know, facade of, of social entrepreneurship on top of it. And, and I don't believe there's a such thing as like bad charity. Like if there's charity, it's good because the world needs more charity, but, um, sometimes that can feel, um, inauthentic, I guess, um, if if you're not really able to share the story, if you're not closing the loop on what you say you're going to do. So I would say that's really incredibly important to be able to do that. And it's something that we've done at This Saves Lives very well. This Saves Lives is a ridiculously delicious food brand that gives back. Every single purchase sends life-saving food to a child in need. Co-founders Kristen Bell, Ryan Devlin, Todd Grinnell, and Ravi Patel launched This Saves Lives with a simple motto, buy a bar, feed a child, we eat together. Now with more than just bars, their products contain premium ingredients and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and kosher dairy. Their unique line of kids' products all contain one full serving of fruits and vegetables and are safe for school. To buy their ridiculously delicious snacks, head on over to thissaveslives.com. Are you still wiping your butt with all that toilet paper you hoarded last year? How's that going for you? Let me introduce you to a new way to clean after you handle your business. Meet Hello Tushy. Tushy is the modern bidet that easily clips to any toilet and installs in just 10 minutes. Starting at just $99, Tushy sprays a precise stream of clean water and washes away all of that literal crap that toilet paper leaves behind. Upgrade your bathroom experience by going to hellotushy.com. That's hellotushy.com. Tushy saves the environment and reduces your carbon butt print. Tushy saves you money on toilet paper and Tushy saves your butt. Go to Hello Tushy 
That's T-U-S-H-Y dot com. Stop wiping, start washing with Tushy. For over a decade, lifestyle brand Half United has been using fashion to feed people all over the world. To break the cycle of generational poverty, the community provides gainful employment to local artisans in vulnerable communities who create their handmade and sustainable products. For every Half United product purchase, seven meals are given to a child in need. Half United has donated over 1 million meals to date. Shop their beautiful jewelry, tees, handbags, and home accessories at halfunited.com and help fight global hunger. Say ciao to tradition and hello to your new favorite plant-based Italian bistro in Los Angeles, Brothers Meatballs. Brothers Meatballs was founded by brothers and food industry veterans Mauro and Sergio Corbia, who hail from the Isle of Sardinia, Italy. When they joined forces with second-generation Italian chef Mark Middleman, their self-proclaimed brother from another mother, the concept for Brothers Meatballs was born. Moro was the founder and creator of Moro's Cafe inside Fred Siegel, a long-standing LA hotspot. Dissatisfied with the amount of plant-based dining options, reminiscent of the home-cooked meals their mother once made, the brothers were determined to create a menu so delicious it would appeal to herbivores and omnivores alike. Inspired by the food mama so lovingly prepared for Sunday suppers, these meatballs are a modern take on a family classic. All menu items are 100% plant-based and made with mama's secret ingredient, love. Angelinos can order lunch and dinner Wednesday through Sunday at brothersmeatballs.com. You know, you touched on something uh, that we uh, have heard elsewhere, which is when you talk about the why, uh, which has to be so powerful. Um, what we had talked about before with Mickey was this idea that when you're starting a business, you need to strap in for 10 years. And if you're, if it's, if this is not something that you're willing to do for the next 10 years, devote yourself to, to it for the next 10 years of your life, forget it. It's don't do it because it, it, it takes that long. And so either it needs to be, I think be one of two things. It can't be about the money. It can't be about anything like that. It has to be about because your product is is doing something that is so vitally important to you and you just feel like there's such a strong need for it. Um, and or that your mission is so important and what you're doing as a company is so important that when you hit hard times, you can fall back on that and look up at the posters or look up at the pictures and be like, oh yeah, like you said, like, this is why we're doing it. And that is what carries you through 10 years. Cause I, where are you at now? Is it year nine? Yeah, guys- we're, we're, yeah, we're pushing into year nine now. And, and, and yeah, by the way, that's, that's incredibly um, valuable advice. I, I think I never would have imagined when we started this thing that, that honestly, I, we'd still be talking about, we could, I've thought that it was just going to be like this little thing that helps support the one clinic in Liberia that we were trying to help. And then that would be that, or it would become this massive thing and, you know, whatever, some Kellogg or something like that would come in and, and buy us, you know, for a trillion dollars or something, you know, the, that, that's the entrepreneurial <laughs> side of me that was like, oh yeah, we're going to get acquired. Um, but what it's been is, is I think far has been a far more rewarding and, and be far more realistic, which is a steadily growing 
brand over the course of eight years where we've just grown year over year over year and brought on more customers and more revenue and, and in turn been able to do more giving and add more countries and more giving partners and help more kids. And um, it does like it's a marathon, right? So 10 years, it's the old adage for acting. It takes 10 years to become an overnight success. I think in business that could carry over directly. It takes 10 years to become an overnight success in a business. You have to put in the time. You have to grow in a way that's healthy. Um, you have to prove your concept and you have to be able to get through really challenging times. And so to that advice of saying you have to be ready and willing to be in it for 10 years, I'd also say to any budding entrepreneurs out there, you also have to be ready and willing to fund it. For 10 years. And oftentimes you're not profitable in the early days, months, weeks, years of starting a company, especially if you're trying to be a growth company like, like we are at This Saves Lives. If you just want to make a profit and you know keep overhead low, you could sell at local farmers markets and bring on a couple local, you know, stores and that kind of thing and 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 do okay. But we wanted to be able to help as many kids as fast as we could. So that meant investing in growth, which means losing money every year um, and plowing it all back into the business, which means you need investors. And so um, while it's not as sexy to talk about for, for those who are interested in starting a business, um, capital is incredibly important. Being well-funded or understanding how you're going to become well-funded at certain triggers in the life cycle of the company as you grow um, should not be understated. And I think either having a great advisory board, a great mentor, or a great CFO um, helping you with that planning uh, is incredibly crucial. And I wish we had had that earlier on in our company uh, because we were a little naive when we started just thinking that like it was immediately going to take off and pay for itself. And so, you know, we learned some hard lessons that I'm glad I learned and, and hopefully I can um, share with some listeners out there as they're taking on their projects to make the world a better place. That's really important advice because so many entrepreneurs struggle with whether they should bootstrap their company or go out and raise venture capital. And it's obviously a very personal decision and there's pros and cons of going either route. Um, but you've been so blessed at This Saves Lives because you've had incredible support from your friends in the entertainment industry. As you mentioned, Kristen Bell, you know, your co-star from Veronica Mars, who's, as we've all know, now gone on to, you know, be a Disney princess um, in, in Frozen uh, franchise and obviously The Good Place and many other hit TV shows um, is one of your founding partners of the company. And you've had amazing support from Jimmy Kimmel and John Krasinski and Troy Ann Belisario and Patrick J. Adams and many others. So how has that celebrity support helped further the mission of This Saves Lives? Well, I mean, it's been massive, as one could imagine. Um, that's another piece of advice that I'll have for budding social entrepreneurs out there. Get mega celebrities involved in your company. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, that easy. Sure. Just do that. Um <laughs> You know, which is, it's funny because, you know, I say that, in a, a, you know, tongue in cheek, but like, A, obviously we have benefited from that, you know, with Kristen being a co-founder of the company to um, some of the other names that you mentioned and, and beyond and just access to Hollywood through either those people or our own connections. Um, it really helped us to get the brand seen early on and it really helped us to get in the door of a lot of rooms. 
rooms where it happens this is making me think of uh, Hamilton song we got into the room where it happened um, <laughs> and so that would be the room where it happens at like Starbucks for example or Whole Foods or some of our you know our major partners out there um, on, in the early days now we've earned those meetings but early on you kind of have to use some tricks sometimes and our first trick was calling ourselves this bar saves lives we've since um, you know kind of evolved into this saves lives because we now sell um, and, and offer things that go beyond bars like kids crispy treats and oatmeal and granola pop, um, a lot of great products that go um, beyond bars. But we initially named ourselves This Bar Saves Lives. And that was um, that's not something that's celebrity driven. And, and anybody out there can think uh, you have to think about how do you break through the noise? And for us, there's a lot of noise in the bar category. Like uh, we entered the most crowded category in grocery, basically. Um, and so we knew we wanted to break free of it. Uh, and breaking um, free of that noise meant naming ourselves This Bar Saves Lives. So super catchy, helped us get a lot of meetings. But having celebrity connections also helped us get a lot of meetings. And it helped us to raise some funds early on. Not a lot. You know, we had to prove our concept. But we were able to raise like a little friends and family kind of seed round. Um, beyond that, you know, it is interesting. Like, I think some people might assume that given the pedigree of co-founders and investors and supporters of our company that we have, it would be a foregone conclusion that we would just be this massive hit. And that um, that was an assumption that I made as well. Um, but it's one that's proven to not be true, to be perfectly honest. Um, when it comes down to it, people might try our product once because it's their favorite celebrity tweets about it or makes a you know Instagram story about it or because it's got a crazy name and they see it at the grocery store, but they're only going to buy it again if they really love it. And so at the end of the day, the quality of the product and of our mission and our ability to tell that story is far um, more important and drives our growth and our success um, in a, in a far um, more impactful way than the individual people that are involved in our company. Um, so, you know, that's why we've spent so much time making sure that our products are amazing and making sure that our, our impact is amazing because that's ultimately what people care about. Well, uh, I mean, I, you know, we're just kind of in awe of you and it, it is just to say it again, you said 200,000 kids lives have and been 30 saved million packets of food, 30 million packets of food because of something that you guys started, you know, because you went on a trip to Liberia and you just saw something and it hit you in the heart and, you then made that a reality. And, and, and it sounds like, you know, by year 10, whatever, as you keep going, you're going to dwarf those numbers even. And so it's, uh, you must feel so as a human, just so much joy, like so much pride in, in having accomplished that. So that being said, um, all in the things that you've done, under the entire umbrella of your entire career was acting, hosting, and obviously being a social entrepreneur, what would you like your legacy to be? Or what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I appreciate that question because I think it's, you know, it's so important for everybody to ask themselves that question. And, and as we're just kind of into a new year now, it's, it's good to reflect on what we've done, but it's also important to look forward and say, you know, what do I want to do? Um, and, and even stating it like that, what do I want my legacy to be? Um, 
I mean, first and foremost, I, I want my legacy to be that I'm I'm a really good dad. Uh, I've got two amazing kids, and um, you know, they're they're my world for sure. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. So if that's a common denominator, let's let's go ahead and take that out, um, because that's that's also you know an easy answer for for those of us who who are parents um, professionally. Yeah, I want I want my legacy to be one that goes beyond what I made um, or what I was recognized for in my entertainment career. I want my legacy to be one that was like throwing you know hundreds of thousands of pebbles in a pond and all those ripples went out and and had an impact beyond that. And the way that you do that is through service. And service can be by starting a company, you know, like this saves lives, or service can be volunteering or being a mentor. And I love both ends of that because, you know, with this saves lives, it's really hard to wrap your head around 200,000 kids, 200,000 families. What does that look like? You know, 800,000 people or a million people. And then what does that look like in a village? Many millions of people. I mean, the ripple, ripple effects can be profound and it's fun to try to think about that, but it's also kind of hard. You know, my most impactful moments with This Saves Lives are when I've joined our, our giving trips and, you know, gone to Haiti and and visited our, our, our partner there, Second Mile Haiti, and met these incredible mothers it's predominantly mothers who are who are um, helping their children to recover from severe acute malnutrition and talking with them and holding these kids, um, you know, learning their stories, learning about their hopes and dreams. And that's what really, you know, is is so incredibly personally fulfilling. Um, and so I try to do that, too, in, like in my normal life. I like I like to volunteer at local organizations because um, writing a big check is a very important way to make a positive impact in the world, uh, but you know, serving yourself, being of service, like physically, emotionally, um, I think can be more personally rewarding. And I think charity should be rewarding. Philanthropy should be rewarding uh, personally. It's what that's that reward center that it hits in your brain that makes you want to do it again and again and again and again. Um, so, you know, for my legacy, I'd like to, I'd like to hopefully, you know, leave something that goes beyond myself and have impacted a lot of lives. Paul Newman's a huge inspiration for me. I've done a lot of volunteer work at um, the Hole in the Wall gang camps, of which there's a network across the country. Um, Painted Turtle is one in Southern California. That's, that's not too far from you all, but they're, they're all over the place. And, um, you know, when I volunteered there as a camp counselor, you talk to these kids, I mean, Paul Newman's one of the biggest actors of ever. Right. Um, and you know, you talk, I talk to these kids and they all know Paul Newman. They all know Paul Newman, who he is because like, you know, he's ever present at the camps. And I would say, you know, well, who was Paul Newman? Cause like, it's always good to just ask like just open-ended questions with kids. And I'd say, well, who was Paul Newman? And they'd say, oh, he, well, he's the guy that made camp. Mm. Or they'd say, oh, he's the guy who's on the salad dressing. Never once in asking that question a hundred times, what, what has had any child said, Oh, he's the actor. Oh, he's cool hand Luke. You know, like Hollywood is it, even if you're the biggest, even if you are the absolute biggest name in town and won all the awards at some point in time, that's not remembered. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's not gone. You're going to be on celluloid forever, but you, you, if you, if your, if your goal is, 
um, and I'm speaking just for myself, like as an actor, right? Because a lot of people get into acting because they want to be remembered or they want to leave their mark or they want to to be larger than life or be a celebrity. If, if your goal is to do that, um, honestly, the best way to do it is through service because through service, you continue to help, you continue to contribute and continue to change lives long after your films or your TV shows are remembered. And so I'm really rewarded by that. I love to act and that's why I keep doing it. But um, I think in terms of just like, personal fulfillment, making the world a better place. There's there's no better way to do that than through service. I told you it'd be a life altering episode. And it was. I don't even recognize you anymore, I know, when Scott. I do that or, voice, or are you it, still it's Scott? It's so cool when I do that voice. Anyway, uh, Ryan, obviously an amazing human, an incredibly eloquent and accomplished person and professional and just also personal. So. Thank you for being on the show. Ryan dropped so many gems. I hope you had a broom to swoop them all up because there were lots, lots of goodies there for you to uh, marinate on because Ryan is a legit uh, social entrepreneur and, and kind of a badass. World changer. He's a badass in a very like, you know, unassuming veneer. Yeah. Like he's a true badass and he's humble about it. So yeah. it's, uh, it's cool to have people like that. Like you were talking about like, just getting good humans together. That's probably one of the greatest things you can do is just surround yourself with good humans as like friends. Obviously you can't choose your family. Hopefully they're cool. But if not, you find good friends that are like good humans and that shared experience is what will drive and inspire you to do better than even you thought you could. Yes, and we are so blessed to count Ryan in our inner circle of superhumans that um that we absolutely love and and admire and want to leave you guys with a cool tip hopefully um you'll think it's got uh value in your life and might want to work it into your 2022 routine um so this is my new gratitude journal for the year if you know me you know i love all things celestial so i've got my my son and moon and and stars on here um but what you do if you get yourself one of these journals is every day you write down three things that you're grateful for and this will change your life um study show you can look this up so i'm not just like randomly you know uh espousing this like medical or scientific advice it's true but the practice of being grateful and writing down the things that you appreciate in your life actually um helps your brain uh, development and your brain power and also can add on years to your life because you're not focused on what you might be missing out on. You're focused on appreciating what you have. Um, and when you're able to tap into that, you will see it absolutely will change your life. So, um, I hope you do that. It's something that I love doing and I wanted to share it with all of you and, um, don't forget like, and subscribe to the show. And next week, me and my handsome boo, Scotty, will be back with another episode just of the say, podcast. That was super awesome, and I'm really glad you shared that tip. But what I'm even more happy about is you pointed to your head when you said brain, because there was a chance <laughs> that someone might have confused brain with another part of the body. So thank you. This is my brain container, <laughs> my head. That's what she calls so, it. So yeah, in other parts of the world, people might point to a different part of their body. It's but not in your knee. Here. So I just want to say, right there, well people. done. And that is true. Amy is like a, a goddess when it comes to these tips of how to give back. And this is a really, as Ryan was talking about, 
service and just like how the what kind of meaning that brings into your life this is just a way to just show gratitude just for yourself and it really does open your heart and mind to other things that are out there than your own story and when you open yourself up to something beyond just your own story uh, your life takes on a whole new meaning so grab a journal it could even just be on a notepad it doesn't have to be something super cool and fancy like that but um, i will say eight dollars on special at barnes and noble baby boom. so calm. so go go and get yourself a journal whatever makes you happy all right guys thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next week see you next week